All right, we're back for another episode of The Block Party. It's a weekly DFS strategy show with me and Jam to win from one week season. We attack this slate from a GPP perspective, and then we build a lineup on DraftKings to get the juices flowing, get those practice builds rolling. We had a great week in week two. Let's see if we can keep things going well here in week three. Let's do it. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto match with Levitan. Bullshit. I just go the other way. In that 66, I went all the way. All the way. If I had 150 lineups, I'd win too. Uh, AP, coach, my bullets to your head like KD. Bust it, bust it. Bitch, go bust it. And I had 10 pints with me in Russia. Hey, everyone. All right, Jim, you managed to keep your shirt on this time <laughs> here. You know, it was a very polarizing thing. You know, there was a lot of families watching and they said, hey, this is inappropriate. And then on the other hand, lots of new viewers rolling in, sex sells, all of that stuff. So I wasn't sure what you had uh, up or off of your sleeves today. That was, it uh, feels like a month ago. I forgot that that was just last week because uh, uh, time gets expanded at this time of year. Uh, I know it, it does really feel like a, an eternity ago that we were talking. Uh, people heard that I had a nice week here on the uh, on my portfolio review on Monday. I know you and a lot of one week uh, season subs had an awesome week. What what was your kind of uh, you know hindsight analysis on what went down last week? It was last week set up really well for me because when there's a week with a lot of upside. Um, I'm typically pretty good at, at sifting through that and finding the spots that have the most upside out of those, those spots with upside. And then a lot of times on those weeks with a lot of upside, there's still going to be those plays like Joshua Kelly, who's going to soak up 15 to 20% of the ownership. And I'm going to have 0% of those guys. So there's just like last week was a, a spot where there were a lot of edges for me, just in a more basic sense in terms of player selection and, and player pool. And it was obviously DFS theory is always, part of the edge, but it was less about that last week. And so profit seemed more bankable last week than, than a typical week. And yeah. So, and then because of that, obviously able to pass that on to subscribers just in terms of player pool stuff. So yeah, it was, it was a cool week. Uh, picked the wrong roster for the game changer, which was disappointing, but all my other single entry and three max cashed. Um, I think I had like two other rosters in single entry three max across, you know, 12 contests that, that didn't finish in the money. And then, uh, had a second place finish in the slant. We had an OWS sub finish above me in first place in the slant. Um, another couple of rosters in the top top 25, another few in the top 50, another few in the top 100. So uh, yeah, fun weekend and looking forward to this weekend. I was, I mean, up until last night, I was like, man, this weekend's hard. Just like, yeah. it doesn't line up as well with what is my biggest edge. And uh, then last night, I was kind of working through some things for player pool and whatnot. And I, I just got a sense of why the week is difficult and what the path is to first place essentially, uh, which doesn't, it's a, it's more of an embrace, embrace variance type of situation and not in the way that people are going to think where they're going to think, Oh yeah, just fade the charges and Vikings and hope that game doesn't hit. Uh, I see it more as an embrace variance type of week, which means that you're kind of sitting there like, well, I played well, and I'm hoping that the players I played do well. Um, so it could be, you know, this is kind of a finish all the way to the left, finish all the way to the right type of week. But I've kind of figured out what those pieces are to finish all the way to the right on this type of week. So, yeah, I feel a lot better about it today than I expected to coming into the weekend. 
Yeah, yeah. I know when I open it up too and just seeing all of the big spreads, you know, we have a lot of big team totals, but also a lot of projected blowouts based on those totals, which always presents kind of unique situations for how you want to attack games specifically. On the show, we're going to dive into all of that. We can start with kind of a macro top-down thing. We'll go position by position and then ultimately uh, build a lineup on DraftKings. Want to shout out the chat hanging out with us today. Lundar becoming a YouTube member. Appreciate you. That'll get you access to the premium shows of doing DFS after dark every Saturday night. Did one with Drew Dinkmeyer last week. I got Nez from the Badge Bros is going to be on nice. this Saturday night. I know Jam is a fan of the Badge Bros and Nez just punched his ticket to Miami in the underdog uh, qualifier. So we'll get to talk to Nez about what he's been up to. And then Sunday morning, I'll have the cram 1045 a.m. Eastern. That'll get you situated with all the overnight news, all the steam, all of the latest breaking stuff as we kind of talk through the slate before lock. Um, we got uh, Jay in the chat saying he's really enjoyed being an OWS sub this year. Helped me think a lot more critically about the slates. You love to hear it. As always, you guys can get a 20% off any of your OWS subscriptions with promo code Pete. I got that in the description and pinned in the chat, and we will hit on some of that awesome content that's going to be rolling out on the site over the next day or two to get you guys ready for the week three slate. But Jam, let's start kind of at the top with that dynamic where we have, I believe last I checked, it was eight or nine teams with uh, totals over 25 points, which is a pretty decent number. And yet not a lot of necessarily projected shootout games outside of this very popular Minnesota and Chargers game. So kind of what's your thought on the overall landscape for this slate? I have, and I won't, I won't, I guess, mention who all of them are because some of it's behind the paywall, but I have five quarterbacks in my player pool, which is a really small number in terms of uh, you take 24 available quarterbacks and try to boil it down to, you know, a smaller number. And I might have as many as six or seven in large field play, but it's going to be a pretty condensed pool of quarterbacks. And then I have like one running back. I'm, I'm, pretty highly confident on based on the way the, the rest of the slate shapes up and then kind of a second tier of, of, I don't know what it is, four or five guys that I might have 15% exposure to a piece. And then like a bunch of guys who it's like, okay, they're all going to get 20 touches and none of them catch many passes and like they might hit, they might not. Right. And so uh, what I'm, what I'm trying to do is recognize what the slate provides and not try to make decisions so much as roll with, what the slate provides. So earlier in the week, you know, I'm kind of poking through the, the Raheem Mostert's and the Joshua Kelly's and Alexander Madison's. And you're trying to be like, okay, which one of these guys do I want to play in on tighter builds and deeper into the week, start recognizing more. There's really not much that separates these guys. You know, some, some people are going to get the right guy on the roster. Some people are going to get the wrong guy on the, their roster. And so having the nuance in my thinking to recognize that and just say, well, let me get exposure to them and, and hope that the chips fall in the right place. And then, uh, you know, pass catchers for me, it's, it's the guys attached to my quarterbacks and then like a lot of other places where it's like, oh, yeah, I want some exposure here. Um, so going back to the quarterbacks, you know, talk about the potential blowouts, the way that this slate shapes up. I want to think about, I want to think first about what are the chances of Vikings and chargers disappointing. Mm. And the chances are very low. Hmm. And, the just the structure of those two teams and I and, and both of those teams are a little bit misunderstood obviously the Chargers have had a very rough start to the season defensively and, and have a talented defensive coach who's in over his head as a head coach which is kind of 
the defense is suffering a little bit as a result, but a talented defensive coach and talented players on that side of the ball. And then on the Viking side, I mean, you know, they got absolutely buried by DeAndre Swift last week, but the week before that, the Buccaneers came out of that game talking about how good the Vikings run defense is, which tells me it's not so much the Vikings run defense is good as Brian Flores can figure out, you know, it's there. The defense is a weakness, but Brian Flores can create strengths based on what he's focused on for that particular week. So uh, there's certainly potential for the Vikings to make this a difficult spot for the chargers. And yet the Vikings throw the ball so much. They're going to throw it a little bit less this week. A lot of quotes from Kevin O'Connell this week about how important it is for them to run the football more and better, but they are still fundamentally a a pass centric team. The most pass centric team in the NFL alongside the chiefs. Uh, And then Justin Herbert's not going to, get blown out, right? Like if, if the Vikings are scoring points, which they they should eventually find their way toward, they have so many weapons and Kirk Cousins is a really good quarterback. Kevin O'Connell is a really good play caller, really good offensive line. They should find their way to points and the Chargers are going to keep up. So, you know, the, the Vegas total tells us that half the time it's going to finish below 54 points. I would feel pretty comfortable on the over on this spot. You know, we see games that, the total gets high enough that Vegas can't really push it much higher because betters just aren't used to betting overs on that. So if we take this isolated game, does it really fall under 54 points 50% of the time? Probably not. Probably more like 35%, 40% of the time. Uh, So this is a game where I see the chance of it going over being relatively high and the chance of Mm -hmm. it going over are also high because you have these two teams that can score quickly, want to pass the ball, want to be aggressive, want to hunt for explosive plays. So that's my starting point, right? Is what are the chances of this game disappointing? Now, at the same time, Justin Herbert could throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns, and that's only 33 DraftKings points, right? Like he's a couple of years ago before the rib injury, he'd pick up two to three points per game on the ground. That hasn't really happened since then. Um, I think he picked up one and a half points, one of these games on the ground. Like he might add one or two points, but he's not going to bust a a 40 yard run in most situations. And so he's kind of a pocket passer. Kirk Cousins, a pocket passer. So these guys can't really put the slate out of reach in most scenarios. It would be an extreme outlier for them to do that. So then I look at, well, who could put the slate out of reach, right? Like Josh Allen should have a good game because he almost always does, but there's been a lot of emphasis in Buffalo on him taking what the defense gives him. We saw that last week. There was a lot of praise for him from the coaches, from the locker room after that game of, you know, him not trying to be a hero on every play, but taking the, the check downs, taking the short area throws, taking them over and over and over again until something downfield opens up. So if the Bills control that and they get the ball back with seven minutes left and a 13 point lead, right, it's going to be a close enough game that, that they're going to be like, okay, now let's manage our way to a win. So it's hard for him to go for 35 plus points. So really the the guy I see who could separate is Patrick Mahomes because Mm. we've seen it plenty of times where Patrick Mahomes in a blowout win, Kansas City throws the ball so much, right? In a blowout win, he still ends up going for 35 points, 38 points. So that's kind of how I'm looking at this slate is Herbert and Cousins have a, a really high floor. Now, the way that they miss is probably not from the game missing. It's probably from the running backs getting touchdowns. So a lot of my non- Cousins Herbert rosters will obviously have Kelly or Madison to kind of account for that. Uh, and then it's like, well, who can separate from those guys? And, and Patrick Mahomes is really the one guy I see with the best shot at separating from those guys. So yeah, that's kind of like, and then I see that as like the central starting point and then a lot more uncertainty in other positions. So it's like, I want to make sure I'm nailing those quarterback positions and then 
allow myself to have lots of shots on goal at the other positions by kind of mixing and matching the various things that could happen that, that kind of don't have a lot of certainty. And then um, I, I know I'm going on a while, but actually one last thing uh, I see looking at ownership. I see a lot of people on like the Michael Pittman type plays uh, mm. who we previously have called like the Keenan Allen type plays, right? The guy who is going to get a lot of targets and is almost certainly not going to have a bad game, but who also doesn't have many paths to putting up a, a 30 pointer, right? And probably doesn't get up to like that 24, 25 point range. So that's where when at the top of the show where I was saying it's kind of an embrace the variance type of week where if, if we have this kind of clumped up group of projectable players that are comfortable to play, but don't have super high ceiling, who are the uncomfortable players that actually might get seven points, but could get like 28 points or 30 points. So like the Elijah Moore's or the Gabe Davis's or the Donovan Peoples Joneses, these guys who nobody's going to really want to play them, but they're actually capable of putting up a big game and can jump over all of those clumped up rosters. Obviously can get bounced back from all those clumped up rosters, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a very interesting macro slate and um, I like to, I like to hunt for like, Oh, I have high certainty on six or seven of the guys on this roster, high certainty yep. on their floor and their paths to ceiling. And this, that's not going to be a week like that for me. Cause that's just not, not available. The high certainty guys don't have as much ceiling. And so the, the tournament winners are going to be the guys who find the guys who actually hit for a big game. Yeah. The, the chargers Viking, it's interesting in a lot of ways too, in the way the teams kind of mirror each other, right? Where you have the quarterback and the two top pass catchers that people are definitely very much into. And then you have, I guess maybe with the chargers, you wouldn't say a ton of uncertainty in the running back room. I, I guess the uncertainty is more Josh Kelly burned people last week. So people aren't like so excited to jam him in, but he still looks like he's going to be popular. Then you have all of this craziness involving the Vikings, the team kind of telling us, Hey, maybe Alexander, Madison isn't our answer long-term this season. I think when you talk about, Hey, what are the odds this game can fail? Then the next big question is like, how do you attack it? Right? Because there's basically three different ways you could fade it and just say, Hey, this game does fail. You could say, I'm going to get pieces of it. Maybe that's just a double stack or whatever. Or you could say, I'm going all in on this game and I'm going to find some unique pieces that the field isn't using. Maybe you're tossing in a KJ Osborne or a Joshua Palmer or whatever. Like, do you have a lean on, that spectrum of like fade to like onslaught with that game right now? Uh, from the fade, I don't think I'll have many rosters without exposure to the game. And I'm not going to go out of my way to set a rule of, of at least one player from this game on every roster, or at least one player from this team on every roster. But my exposures are going to add up in such a way that most of my rosters will have exposure to this game. Recognizing yeah. that a game can go off or a game could, again, it could be 28 to 24, right? Like, and then the way that the distribution of fantasy points goes, you know, it's like Keenan Allen soaking up a lot of them, but not enough to justify his price tag. But that takes away from Mike Williams, takes away from Josh Kelly. Maybe Gerald Everett scores one of the touchdowns or, you know, but still only gets 30 yards, right? Like the game can play out well, but without anybody really pushing toward tournament winning score. So I don't expect the game to disappoint, but I still want to account for the fact that there are setups in which no players from this game produce had to have it scores. Um, at the same time, the like the likely scenario, given what else is on this slate is that this is the game that's going to have, you know, 
one or two pieces that are on tournament winning rosters. So most of my rosters will account for that. And then some of my rosters will have heavy builds around it. Some of them will have less heavy builds around it. And I talked about this this week on Twitter. I think it's a really interesting angle that the, I, you know, I started using optimizer halfway through last season and it wasn't surprising to me that I've been able to build plus EV portfolios of rosters in 150 max play because I know DFS well, and I know the NFL well, and I know how to marry those two things. But what's been really strange to me is I've had 70% profitable weeks in single entry and three max since I started using an optimizer. And I realized this last week why that is. And it's because it, I, I don't go through and hand build my single entry three max anymore. I shop through my 150 rosters and find the best ones and put those in single entry and three max. And so in the same way that the example I've used is if you read hundreds of books, you know a good book when you read one, but that doesn't mean you can sit down and write a great book. And uh, another thing I said this morning with Keegan is you always hear musicians or artists, like a musician might say, man, I wish I'd written that song. And hmm. so building the, these 150 rosters in the optimizer, and I've been saying that like kind of preaching this to OWS this week of even if you're a single entry three max player, if, you, if you're playing enough each week to justify the nine bucks a week that an optimizer costs throughout the season, like you should be doing that because you can build 150 rosters or hundred rosters, whatever, and shop through them. And you can find these rosters. Like I know DFS well enough that I can spot the sharpest rosters out of that pool of 150. And, you know, last week I had 20 rosters that finished above my highest scoring single entry three max. There was 20 rosters that I didn't identify as the sharpest, right? But still, like all of my single entry three max were among the top 40 or 50 highest scoring of my rosters. Yeah. Um, because you see it and you're like, oh, I wish I'd built that roster. Or you're like, yeah. that's the roster that I was trying to get to when I, throughout my practice build. It, and it takes those obstacles out of your course that, and, and you know, we have the Bink machine optimizer on, on OWS now that you guys can use, but also whether it's the Bink machine on OWS or whether it's Fantasy Labs or whether it's the Solver or Roto-Grinders lineup HQ, like finding something that fits with, with your style of play uh, and the way your mind works. I just think it's really valuable and it's helped me a lot. So I say all that to say, A, because I say it because it's I think it is important to share that, but I say that to say, I don't really know where I'll be going in terms of this game on my tightest builds. I know that my tightest builds will, will almost certainly have exposure to this game, but I'll kind of build all these rosters that come out different ways and I'll shop through them and it'll, it'll, I'll have some that's like, okay, you know, like I know I want a lot of Mahomes. I want a lot of Herbert. I want a lot of Cousins. I want a lot of Pollard. But kind of behind that, there's a lot of question marks. And so uh, I'll let these rosters shake out this week. And there's going to be some that have overstacks of that game. And it'll be like, yeah. this is a great roster. Let me put this into the spy. Uh, yeah. And some that might have one or two pieces like, okay, this is also a great roster. And it's great for the 5,000 entry power sweep. I'll throw it in there. So um, yeah, kind of a strange week where I have less certainty, but I know that I'll have some rosters that look really good and have pieces from this game. Yeah, and it is just tricky because sometimes you have those games that are going to be popular, but then you'll have these random pieces or or important pieces that aren't going to be as popular. But you look at projected field exposures for this game, and it's like there's not a lot that is flying underneath people's radar here. Let's let's circle back to the quarterback position here. You mentioned obviously Herbert and Cousins are very viable in this game. You mentioned Mahomes, who's always top of mind. Are there any other quarterbacks here that are interesting to you? Maybe from a value perspective too, right? Because we do have some of these guys like Sam Howell and we have 
quarterbacks who are in negative game scripts that might be forced to chuck a good bit. You can see Russell Wilson, you know, showing up here as a, as a value player. Are there any other quarterbacks you're willing to consider? Or are you going to have a tight pool at the position? Well, we already said that Herbert like can throw for 350 and four touchdowns and still not really put the slate out of reach. Right. So uh, any quarterback, if he's 7,500, 7,600, whatever he is, any quarterback at 5k who could go for 22 to 25 becomes really valuable this week. So if there were quarterbacks where I just felt uh, abundantly confident that they were going to score 20 plus points in that price range, I'd be all over that this week as a way to differentiate from this, this top end, because I don't love the idea of paying 75, 7,600, 6,800 on Kirk Cousins for a guy that I'm hoping gets me 25 to, to right. 33 points, you know? Uh, and that's one of the reasons why Mahomes kind of stands out because like, well, he could separate, but I don't really see any cheap guys who have clear potential to separate. Uh, CJ Stroud is very interesting. You obviously are relying on the Jags to take a lead and force the Texans to go pass heavy again. But one of the things I, I like about that team, I mean, you know, watching all the press conferences, so often rookie head coaches, they're up, they're uptight. And there's this feeling of like, this is my shot at a, at a head coaching job. And you know, most new head coaches are on a team that was bad the year before. And then, so they're, they're so uptight. They're so concerned about losing their job. D'Amico Ryan's like his mindset seems to be like the front office knows this team isn't great on paper. The fans know this team isn't great on paper. And also I know I'm a great coach and I'm going to be in demand. And so like, he is so like, free and and comfortable and positive and i've said before that this team doesn't have the feeling of a team that's like that internally thinks we're gonna go out there and shock people and make the playoffs it has the feeling of a team that's like hey we're gonna do our best on every play and every player's gonna do their best in every play and we're gonna build on that and, and see what comes of that so i say that, say that to say they're not like playing you know tight and conservative with cj stroud and so i think right. that even even if they're not trailing they're still willing to let him throw 32, 33 times. Um, my concern there is this Jags defense. It, you know, we, we saw Stroud put up, what was it, like 12 points against Baltimore on a ton yeah. of volume. Um, this Jags defense, they play a lot of zone, and they're so fast. So what can happen with a guy in his third NFL start is, is these holes in the zone look open because – they would be open for him in college, but they're going to close so fast with this Jags defense. So that concerned me, right? Like his range of outcomes is nine points to, to 23, 24. I don't see him putting up a 30 pointer and I could see him disappointing. So uh, yeah, it's just, that's kind of what the cheaper quarterbacks all look like to me. I, I'd actually be curious your thoughts on uh, Deshaun Watson, because I, I keep going back to last year where, all season, I kept waiting for Tom Brady and Mike Evans to look like Tom Brady and Mike Evans. And you're yep. like, oh, eventually it's going to happen. And then it's like, oh, maybe eventually it's just not. Um, yep. Deshaun Watson looks bad, right? But he's in this matchup we always attack against Tennessee, forces the ball to the air. Any thoughts there? Yeah, that one's tough. And it does from your to your point, it feels kind of like the make or break week for telling us, is it going to happen for Deshaun Watson, right? Because this is the matchup. This is the spot where it needs to happen if it's going to. I mean, there were some small interesting trends. You know, his designed rush attempts doubled from week one to week two. You'd obviously like to see him getting a little bit more rushing there just to give him that kind of floor ceiling combination we want here. Um, I do. I'm more of the camp that 
he is just a total, you know, lemon now, and you don't want much to do with him. And yet the GPP bro in me is starting to think, you know, are there spots here? You look at, um, you know, kind of Elijah Moore's underlying usage has been really, really good oh still. Gosh. And it's like, things can click. The other thing is, do you have a read on, and this kind of ties into it, like, are people going to use Jerome Ford, right? Because it kind of sets up, we now have the third straight week of a chalk running back going against the stout Titans defense. And yet is the field going to be like, you know what? I've learned my lesson. I don't care that he's 4,800. I don't want to deal with this pass funnel. I honestly, I honestly don't know on that one. I mean, I think that the fact that, you know, I look at ownership deeper into the week, but I, before that I'm identifying what my own thoughts are. And yeah. I have to separate like my knowledge of the, my, the fact that I played 0% Jamal Williams, 0% Joshua Kelly across 300 combined rosters the last two weeks. So I'd have to separate that from also just the fact that it's like, yeah, but Jerome Ford looked really good and and maybe Kareem Hunt's not up to speed and and he could catch more passes than these other guys. And, and then I'm still kind of like, yeah, but this defense, you know? And, and so I do think that there's going to be more pull in both directions for, for people where the ownership won't get as high. The confidence won't just yeah. be there this week. And you have so many other cheap running backs with roles with, with Raheem Mostert and Joshua Kelly and Alexander Madison and, uh, and, you know, even cheaper guys with, if David Montgomery's out, Craig Reynolds, who probably doesn't get the full 16 to 20 touches, but 10 to 12, Kendra Miller coming back. So I think it's going to be harder for people to pull the trigger there. And we see more like that eight to 10% um, ownership. I got to tell you the, the Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson, as I, I was, uh, you know, flying to Oakland on Tuesday, going through security line, listening to quarterback press conferences and Desmond Ritter is, you know, post game. And he's like very critical of himself. And he's talking about the things that he did. They're, they're like reporters trying to get him to say the things that he did well. And he's just like pointing out the mistakes that he made and where he can improve. And, and like all these young quarterbacks who've been trained to be quarterbacks for years, decades, they're just like, well, we're going to get one day better at a time. And yeah, yeah. All the Watson's press conference. Uh, they asked him if, if he thought he could play better. And he's like, yeah, I mean, Maybe like <laughs> they asked him about like m mistakes or like things that can be cleaned up. And he basically like, he didn't say these exact words, but he basically said like other guys are making mistakes too. <laughs> Jeez. It was like, man, this guy, like he seems broken, you know, like, yeah. Which, which, I mean, nobody's disappointed yeah, about that in a real life perspective, but the, it's crazy to see just what's happened to, to him mentally he's not he's not the guy you want leading your team no speaking of that i did feel a little bit like you jay i'm you know i'm not normally grinding the press conferences but of course the justin fields one went viral so i did watch that clip and he at least you know started doing all you know the right playbook taking ownership for his mistakes i need to be better and then at the end you know someone was prodding him but uh is, is there anything that's like causing all this is there too much stuff in your he's just like yeah the coaching yeah <laughs> it's like just completely throwing them under the bus so yeah been a wild week for some of these struggling quarterbacks and how they're handling it in the media let's uh, transition to oh what Brandon, i want to say this one brandon staley snapped at a report oh, yeah. last week. did you see that For the one? jags conversation right i asked him i asked him like yeah. what's the, they said what's the feeling like in the locker room and he said yeah we're owing two what do you think the feeling is <laughs> yeah everyone's getting a little testy there it's on a little the podium. testy two weeks into the season
Yep. Um, let's transition to the running back position. We talked a little bit about Jerome Ford. I think he's going to be popular, but not mega chalk. You know, the big thing that I was kind of thinking in both for DFS and I was doing the battle Royale stuff. And it's like outside of those top three running backs, Tony Pollard, Bijan Robinson, Travis Etienne, where I feel really good about the ceiling combo, the volume, the talent, the game environments, all that stuff. Like outside of those three guys, like you can poke legitimate holes across like every other running back in the player pool. And I'm curious, one, do you kind of agree with that dynamic? And two, is that one of those things where you're saying, Hey, I want to embrace the variance. I got to start two of these running backs and I probably don't have the salary to play both of these guys. Or are you going to be trying to get up to these quote unquote sure things? Yeah. And, and you know, we're going to get to the player blocks here in a bit. And I think that there's some interesting things you can do with salary this week, but the, yeah, I mean, my, my, at least five and a half or six years of my nine plus years of DFS play, I was like a strict single entry or like at most three max type of player, right? So my mind early in the week still very much goes toward sifting through these situations and being like, I'm going to find which guy is the right guy from this pool. And, and last night it was like 1130 to midnight. I was kind of working through final thoughts on my, my Friday player pool for the player grid and, and it was this realization of, no, like nothing separates these guys on paper. There's nothing that we're going to sit, you know, and obviously it's it's DFS and it's human nature. We're binary thinkers for the most part. Most people are kind of black and white thinkers. So there are going to be people who tout a certain player this week and that player ends up hitting for a big game. And next week they're going to tout the fact that they were right about that player. But the, the realistic situation here is a lot of these players aren't separated by much. And that includes Kenneth Walker, Miles Sanders, obviously Miles Sanders, a lower game total, worse offense, but just in terms of all these guys who are going to get around 20 touches could push to 20 touches. Um, don't have huge pass game roles, or they might have bigger pass game roles than the other guys, but are on worse offenses. Uh, Kenneth Walker, Raheem Mostert, Alexander Madison, Miles Sanders, Joshua Kelly, so to me, it's like, yeah, nothing really separates these guys. And I just, just have to recognize that, recognize that, you know, and to, to me also, I'll, I think that Tony Pollard is maybe not head and shoulders above Bijan Robinson and Travis Etienne, but head above yeah. uh, those other two, just because we didn't used to pay five years ago. You never paid six, seven years ago. You never paid 8K for a, a running back until David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell came along with seven to 10 targets a game. And Christian McCaffrey started doing that. And Alvin Kamara wasn't getting the carries, but he was getting those types of targets. So when you look at Bijan Robinson and you know that his touches are capped, right? He can get up to 23, 24 touches, but that's probably about his ceiling. Now he gets more targets than, than Etienne, but it's harder for him to put up a 40 pointer. You know, so he can push, mm -hmm. he can get up to 25, 30 points. It's harder for him to put up a 40 pointer because the workload just isn't there for that type of pathway to be available. Uh, Travis Etienne, again, kind of a step below Bijan Robinson. And then Pollard, we saw all those games last year where he did go for 30 plus on limited touches, you know, sub 20 touches. Uh, we saw last week that he can go for 32. I don't think that'll happen this week, but um, so Pollard kind of goes Pollard, Robinson, Etienne for me among those guys. Uh, and then among the lower priced guys, yeah, to me, it's kind of like, here's a pool of these guys and I'll have somewhat equal exposure to all of them, you know, like yep. maybe 15% exposure on Madison and Kelly to get exposure to that game. And then like 11% uh, on 10% on Kenneth Walker and, and Raheem Mostert, you know, kind of might be set up like that, but um, kind of all in that same general range. 
Yeah, and because the, you know, we mentioned the guys at the top end, but then because even like the value guys, you know, people worried about the Jerome Ford matchup, even like the Zach Moss who projects decently, that could be a really negative game script for a guy who doesn't project to catch a ton of passes and stuff. So it does seem like the field exposures are going to end up pretty spread out here because just there's no one really jumping out as the slam dunk play. Let's save some more of the running back talk for when we do the building blocks and build our draft Kings lineup. Before we talk about wide receivers, I did want to mention one thing that I saw you guys have going on at one week season. And I think I'm going to do this maybe with a comment giveaway, but you guys are doing a gift subscription here, right? Where you can, I can share yeah. a code and get one, uh, commenter here uh what free one week season inner circle access for the for an entire year is that correct yeah yeah yeah, yeah. for the whole season so also any of you who are watching and are one week season subs yeah. uh yeah there's a code promo code on your profile page if you're an inner circle member you can share that with somebody they get a free season of you know this 2023 season of inner circle access you could if you're OWS DFS, same thing you can share that promo code with a friend it's a one-time use code and uh, Zandemir pointed out, you don't even have to give it away for free. You know, if you have a friend who, uh, <laughs> who plays DFS or plays fantasy and is interested in DFS, you could, you know, sell it to him for 40 bucks or 60 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever you want, whatever you can get for it. Uh, kind of defray the cost of your own subscription and, and give them access to OWS for the season. Yep. There you go. I'll also say for those of you guys who are in the Deposit Kingdom Discord um, and you guys want to uh, to link up and, and let people uh, get some access, that'd be awesome. I'll do this, Jam. Let's say this. Everyone, if you want my code, I'll give my code away for free. You leave a comment on this video with a player you think will be in the winning Millie Maker lineup <sighs> this week. And then anyone who's correct... Um, with that, I'll, I'll put your names in a drawing and I'll, and I'll pull that out and the winner there will get, uh, the free subscription. Um, let's talk some wide receivers here, JM, before we start building, obviously everyone knows what's going on at the top end this week. Justin Jefferson projects extremely well. Tyreek Hill projects extremely well. And then everyone's going to be excited to play, you know, Keenan Allen as well. And it does seem like the ownership's going to follow those guys. Mike Williams too, looks like he's going to be very popular. Um, any other, you know, particular conversation points you think are relevant at the wide receiver position? No. And that's kind of what makes this week challenging, right? Is that there aren't other guys where, you know, Amari Cooper, I was kind of like, man, Amari, they, I love attacking the Titans with wide receivers. Then you go through mm -hmm. eight games with Deshaun Watson and he's topped, I think he's like, he's topped like 13 DraftKings points once with him. And he had all these 28 to 30 point games with Jacoby Brissett last year. Um, Elijah Moore, right. All these targets, but, but, you know, also the floor is really low just based on him and then based on his quarterback. And uh, so, yeah, to me, there, the discussion is there at the top. There's not much to sort through, you know, personally, I'll probably have very little Tyree kill. And if that's what kills me this week, that's what kills me this week. That's how I'm going to attack the slate. Uh, we could get into the reasons why if we want to, um, I'll have plenty of Justin Jefferson. And then my rosters without Justin Jefferson, I'll have lots of uh, Addison, I'll have lots of Osborne, I'll have lots of Hawkinson, I'll have Madison kind of just play off of what happens if Jefferson doesn't blow up on, on those rosters. Um, and then, yeah, like there's nobody below that that really kind of pops. Uh, one thing that's interesting, okay, three Texans wideouts. They yeah. lost 13.3K. Divide that in, in half, that's 67.50. Uh, 
last week or 6650 last week they combined for 64 draft around 64 DraftKings points um cut their targets in half it's like 12 and a half targets you know for like point being wouldn't you pay 67 6650 for 12 and a half targets uh that said way tougher matchup this week so i think that it's viable to just like say hey out of these three texans let me take two on a bunch of rosters uh and that includes robert woods which is a guy i mean robert woods a guy who they made a captain not not from team vote but from they had four voted captains and then uh d'amico ryan's added three additional captains uh made robert woods one of them just he said like he's the guy that he wants everybody on the team to model their um their approach day in and day out after you know i've seen talk about like Tank Dell will probably surpass Robert Woods and, and relegate him to the bench. It's like, no, probably not. Cause this team is just trying to grow. You know, they want Robert Woods on the field for that purpose. And uh, he's going to keep getting targets. Uh, Tank Dell, obviously a guy I really like and uh, helped us out a lot last week. So those guys stand out, but no, to me, I think the story is that Mike Williams is a tremendous, tremendous play at, at 6k. Um, Justin Jefferson, obviously in play. I won't argue against Tyree Kill. I have my reasons why I won't be as high on him, but won't argue against him. Uh, Diggs, you know, I, CD Lamb to me isn't isn't likely to put up thirty plus points just because of the way the Cowboys run their offense. Obviously, they won in a blowout last week, but that was a competitive game into the fourth quarter against a really good defense. Um, Keenan Allen, I'm on board with, and and so then the rest of these guys is going to be okay. How do I take on a lower floor? to potentially get a higher score than the people who are, are gravitating towards safety at the wide receiver position. Yeah. The, I think that's such a good call out on uh, the Texans too. But it, I, my guess too is sometimes people will be like, wait, Jam, you, you called Tank Dell last week. All right, well, you got to go back to the well here. And then you look at, yes, Robert Woods is more expensive, but the ownership, there's going to be a large, large gap. Tank Dell is going to be very popular in Robert Woods. No one's going to want to play him. And then you can check it out. And this is one of my favorite things I've been using the free uh, utilization report over at fantasy life. You can pull this up and, and all on your own here and see Robert Woods, 21% of the targets tank Dell, 23% Robert Woods, 87% of the routes. This is in week two tank Dell, 82%. They were basically being used very similarly. Um, Robert Woods even had a slightly higher a dot, which is kind of interesting. But the point is, it's like Robert Woods is essentially the tank Dell play at a fraction of the ownership. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a fraction of the, uh, of the juice in his, in his game. As well, his point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, similarly I say, you know, this could shake out differently, but I've so far seen, um, a- Addison is projected owned quite a bit lower than Osborne, which I think yeah. is a function of people seeing like, okay, well, uh, Osborne's a lot cheaper. Both guys have seen six targets each game. I think Addison's seen five and six Osborne's seen six and six. Um, but then one of those spots where again, you spend a little bit of extra money just to get the guy who's lower, lower owned. I think that'll actually even out as we get closer to the weekend. But, um, but yeah, so it wide receiver and RB2 for me become less about predicting what's going to happen and more about understanding the who have a shot at being on tournament winning rosters and then like letting a little bit and just saying, um, you know, like, and it's easier again, it's easier using an opto to then have that mindset because it's like, I'm going to put these guys onto rosters and then I can shop through and like certain rosters are going to stand out. Certain rosters are going to pop and I'll be like, this is a really good roster. And maybe I don't feel great about playing this player. Whereas if you're hand building, it's more like, yeah, but which one is the likeliest hit? Which one has the best projection? Um, But yeah, that's how I'm going to be approaching this week at like uh, wide receiver three and four. And RB2 is kind of, okay, beyond the guys I can predict, what's the pool of guys who 
have a shot at being on tournament winning rosters. And I want to have rosters that pull from, from that pool of players. Yeah. And that like idea too, of thinking we have all these games that are going to uh, projected to be blowouts too. But if you can hit the one game where the team surprisingly keeps up, whether it is a Sam Howell chucking, whether it is a uh, CJ Stroud chucking or, or Russell Wilson, like that is a, a situation that the field and median projections are not going to be able to capture, but could be a huge windfall, not only for the, the good side of the stack, the favorite side of the stack, but those lower owned, you know, bringbacks and stuff. So that's something I'm definitely thinking through here as we head over to build a lineup and look at our core building blocks. Reminder, you guys can always get 20% off any of those one week season subs with promo code Pete. The building blocks we're about to talk about, JM releases those on the site. Is it normally uh, Friday night, Saturday morning? Yeah, I mean, it's Friday, usually about right before Pizza Friday starts at, at my house with the kids, uh, which is like about 4.50 p.m., but I'm on the West Coast. So um, my wife goes to pick up the pizza at 4.30. I finish up the uh, the player grid during that stretch. And so, yeah, before 8 p.m. Eastern, it's it's usually live on the site. Yeah, perfect. And, you know, I yesterday or last week I was scrolling through and, you know, we had talked about Keenan a little bit on the show, but then you had a little bit of a longer write up in your player grid. And it uh, very much solidified uh, for me that Keenan Allen was getting uh, permanently locked in my lineup, no matter which direction I went and uh, really enjoyed reading your thoughts as always in, in the player grid. It really helps centers me before I'm making my lineups. One other quick reminder here, directly following the show, I'm headed over to the underdog daily channel to do a little show with the badge bros. It's called off and on the clock. It's a nice way to segue into your weekend. You guys punch out. We head into the weekend early drafting some teams on underdog, build a pick them slip. I think we got to hop in a dog bowl qualifier because otherwise Nez is going to have no friends in Miami. So we got to help him out there. But Jam, it is now time for everybody's favorite portion of the show where we build a lineup on DraftKings. And this week, we do have the Rake Free Deposit Kingdom Weekly League. It is already full. Uh, I post that link in the Deposit Kingdom Discord every single week, normally on Tuesdays. It has been filling early. I keep adding 50 entrants. We'll keep boosting it up. And Jam... Your boy won this last week, and I said it's bad for optics for me to win my own tournament. So I, I need the competition to step up their game this week. I uh, I don't think I've ever won the bottom up build contest on OWS. <laughs> so I'm waiting for my chance to finally do something like that. Well, let's dive in here so we can maximize our time talking about some of these building blocks here. You know, I, I talk to you always before the show. I say, who do you want on the cover boy uh, to be the cover boy for the thumbnail? Any building blocks you're liking? I did end up putting Justin Jefferson on, which is, you know, a fairly, I would say, on the nose, you know, pick here. But is there any other place you would like to start as far as this uh, single entry lineup we're going to build? Yeah, so I want to start with a really interesting building block, and it's going to allow us to talk about something we've mentioned before in the past but don't typically have building blocks that, that hit on which is players that are in totally different games and yet are correlated in the way that they maximize our chances of getting to first place and so i want to do a building block that is justin jefferson and tony pollard okay. and what happens here is most people aren't going to have this pairing so if justin jefferson and i Justin Jefferson's overpriced for his likeliest range of outcomes. We should also start there, right? He's probably not putting up 37 to 40 points. He's probably putting up 28 to 32 points, but 
there's not going to be a ton of 30 pointers on this particular slate. So if you get those 30 points from Justin Jefferson, you know, it's easy to look at this and be like, let's well, put up 27 and 28.9. It's like, yeah, but last year, half his games, he put up like 29 plus incredible. That's incredible. His other half, he had like low twenties, mid to high teens. He's going to have games like that this year in spots where we don't expect it. And this could be one of those weeks. I'm going to have a lot of, you know, 60% of my rosters won't have Justin Jefferson, but probably 40% will have Justin Jefferson. So then if you say, what if there's only a handful of 30 point scores available in this slate? And what if one of them is Gabe Davis or Mike Williams or one of these kind of cheaper guys, right? And there's only a couple pay up guys who actually go for 30 points. And one of them is Justin Jefferson and the other one is Tony Pollard. Well, most people will have one or the other. So if Tony Pollard's 20% owned, 25% owned, and Justin Jefferson's 30% owned, you know, 55% of the field is getting this 30 pointer at their high priced player, but then they still have kind of their other eight spots battling it out. So if we have Pollard and Jefferson together and only maybe 3%, 4% of the field has that and both these guys hit, we are in such better shape for first place. So it kind of gives us a chance to, we've already agreed, like Jefferson's our highest confidence wide receiver. Nobody's really arguing that this week. Tony Pollard, we both agreed, is our highest confidence running back. So getting them together is a really nice way to do something different. The pricing seems prohibitive, so most people will stay away from it. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I like a starting point like this and allows us some flexibility to do uh, some fun things elsewhere on the roster. Yeah, I think this is a really fun angle to consider because even like I was running just some general optimal lineups earlier and you're obviously getting a ton of one of the top wide receivers, Jefferson or Tyreek, but then the running back that's paired with them, you will get a lot of ETN um, in there just because he's cheaper than Pollard. And so I think to your point, like even people working off optimizers that aren't specifically asking for these two guys to be part of their team, it's not going to naturally show up that much so it already differentiates you while still getting two of the best players in as always my follow-up question is going to be all right we just spent a lot of money uh how are we going to start to uh to save here to make this work yeah so next thing we could do is we could i mean and honestly we have i had a, a lineup that was spit out earlier uh today by the bink machine that had justin herbert uh Bijan robinson <laughs> tony pollard and justin jefferson on it Right. So like there are still now Donald Parham was the tight end. I was still working through my rules and that's not Justin Jefferson. Uh, Herbert's not the top quarterback on the slate with only bringing Donald Parham with him. But point being like, there's still salary flexibility here. So the next thing I want to do is get a sense of where that salary flexibility is, which uh, typically that means I'll go over to defense and kind of see, I, I would love to get like a, the Patriots a 3,500 on this team if it mm. works out, but I don't want to force that. I want to kind of start at the jets or even I think the Washington Commanders are an interesting defense to consider just because they are solid. Josh Allen can make mistakes. The Commanders probably put up six or seven points and can put up a bigger score than that. So go to one of those cheaper defenses and then see what that does to our available salary remaining. Uh, so yeah, Jets or Commanders, um, throw them on there. Jets obviously much yeah. sharper on paper play. Uh, yeah, let's put Jets. Can... And then if we if we end up needing the 400, we can make that pivot down. Yeah, next thing we can do is I, I would love to see if it's possible to get something like Justin Herbert and Mike Williams on this roster, mm. because again, if we're hunting for 30 pointers, I think that these are two other places and we might see that this restricts our salary too much, but there's always cheap tight ends we can hunt for. We can go to Dalton Kincaid. Uh, we can go to honestly, Dalton Kincaid is, I don't know how his ownership is, is still low. He's priced way below Seems very low. Yeah. Where he should be. His price is low his ownership's low so we can throw Dalton Kincaid in here just to kind of again continue to get a sense of what our salary looks like 
Um, and then recognize, you know, we've got the Robert Woods setup. We've got Tank Dell. We could go KJ Osborne and go double bring back um, on the Vikings on this roster. Uh, or, you know, we always have flexibility to go like a little bit cheaper at quarterback uh, or to, yeah, we don't really have flexibility to go cheaper uh, anywhere else if we want to get that Mike Williams type play in there. Um, but yeah, we could throw in Tank Dell next or Robert Woods, recognizing that those are sharp plays. Obviously, Tank Dell is probably going to be required on this roster. And then at running back, we don't actually have to go to the like the the Craig Reynolds or the Kendra Millers, right? We have enough salary to go to a Josh Kelly uh, right. and kind of do like an overstack of this game uh, or to go to even a guy like a little bit more expensive than that. Yeah, I kind of like that that angle of of Joshua Kelly and basically saying, hey, we're going to capture, you know, all of the touchdowns through Herbert, yeah. Kelly, and, and Mike Williams. We have salary to go to Osborne too if we go Joshua Kelly here. Yeah, if you go, oh, that that does put you right at Osborne, right? 4K. So that's the overstack angle if you do if you do go that route. Don't put Osborne on there. Then it makes it a, a roster somebody sees. I might want to use this one. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, Don't make hey, it official. the cat's already out of the bag. The cat's already out of the bag. <laughs> Look at that roster. My God. <laughs> well, you you can – there's stuff you can play with, right? Because, you know, Tank Dell is going to be very popular. We could maybe consider are there any other cheap guys down there. We already mentioned Robert Woods, although he costs more. Um, you could obviously save money at Jets. There's always different uh, tight end pivots you can do. But I would say this core of – Herbert, Mike Williams, Kelly, Mike Williams, Pollard, like that does seem like a really strong core to build around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty nasty lineup right there. Um, I normally don't see your eyes light up like this with one no, of the lineups we build. You fell in love on a Friday here. This is what I'm looking for when I'm going through the opto is like yeah. what what just pops to me. But there's gonna be other rosters like this too that that yeah. as I'm sorting through my 150, like I'm gonna see rosters like this. That's like, whoa, yeah. this roster is is yeah. pretty nice. So yeah, um, it's fun because uh, it's fun because already Pollard and Jefferson sets you apart. You know right. that we can feel comfortable with these two high owned players, probably only on like four or five percent of rosters together. And then how many of those rosters are like, all right, how do I jam in Justin Herbert and Mike Williams, and then also not sacrifice at RB two? Um, mm -hmm. It just ends up being a, a really nice setup. And I think that there's, like you said, there's a lot of different things you can do with it um, as well. You know, Mike Gusecki continues to get five, six targets and uh, played, I think it was 55 out of 70 something snaps last week. He's 2,900. Nobody plays him. Jets are yeah. stout on the outside. So you can go cheaper there. You can go cheaper at defense, uh, free up even more salary, get up to Robert Woods. So uh, yeah, fun stuff that you can do on, on this roster. Do you have a, it, it does. I mean, we kind of hit on it, it and I know that um, there's a big price disparity between Addison and Osborne, but it does seem weird to me how low Addison's projected ownership is. It just seems like he would be a play that people, you know, you got this rookie. We've already seen him get loose for these big plays. Don't really have question about his talent. Now we have the best shootout game of the week and I'm seeing like sub 2% on him. Yeah, I, I, there's like a Cinderella slipper type thing. The pump, the pumpkin. What does Cinderella ride in? The yeah, yeah, pumpkin, the pumpkin. The pumpkin, pumpkin is uh, a, uh, a carriage. Carrot. Yeah, like yeah, people are waiting yeah, for the carriage to turn back into the pumpkin. I, I think that that happened with Jahan Dotson last year, where you know people are smart enough to recognize that six targets doesn't sustainably lead to a touchdown a game, but they also 
that's looking retrospectively. So they're like, mm -hmm. well, he had five targets and six targets. And that's pretty fortunate that he put up the scores he did with a touchdown in each game. And now his price has gone up because of the touchdowns, but that's not sustainable. Uh, we saw that with Dotson last year where his ownership remained low. His price didn't get out of hand, but it kept creeping up. But it was always like six targets, seven targets, but he kept scoring these touchdowns. And I think people are, are the DFS field is smart enough to recognize that that's not sustainable. But at the same time, couldn't Addison come out and have a nine or 10 target game? Um, couldn't he come out and have a big game where Justin Jefferson gets like so much focus on him that Addison ends up being the focal point. He has this breakout game. So I think it's harder for people to look forward and see something that hasn't happened yet. Um, and, and yeah, the price tag. And I think it's just, I, I don't think it'll stay that low, but I can see, that type of thinking, right? People are a little smart, smart enough to see that he's not as sharp as his box scores indicate. What other situation with Minnesota that we didn't get to fully hit on in the news did break while we were live that Cam Akers is going to be inactive for, uh, for this week. So, you know, that thorn in Madison side might be coming eventually, but not this week. I, and I know you're not normally in the game of trying to predict, you know, what the field's doing on, on a Friday, but I am just curious if, cause this does set up as a good spot for Madison, just like objectively on paper. And yet people are so down on his talent, how inefficient he is. Granted, he was coming off a pretty hard matchup against the Eagles there, but how, how are you thinking about Madison both from like field perspective and is he someone you're interested in with your pool? Yeah. So these are, these are quotes. I wrote these down on Tuesday. These are Quotes from Kevin O'Connell. Uh, quote one, quote, we need to run the football more. Uh, he then talked about how they can't, they haven't been able to run the football more because they've been behind the sticks when they do run. And so then it's kind of hurting their offense as a whole. Uh, quote two, we've got to run the football more. It'll help our whole entire team. Definitely a main focal point. That was this week that Kevin O'Connell was saying that. On top of that, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a lot of social media stuff with Alexander Madison taking a bunch of hate, um, people encouraging him to commit suicide, yeah. a lot of racist stuff. And his wife and brother kind of got involved in the back and forth with people, which kind of brought all this into his home. And he like a big topic around the team, the, all the players kind of rallying around him. So that's a little narrative driven, obviously, but this and look, fundamentally, they're still a pass heavy team. They're going to be a pass centric team, but they do want to run the ball in order to set up the pass. So, you know, I look at, I look at the fact that Dalvin Cook last year had, I think it was like three games above 16 DraftKings points in this offense because it is no longer that outside zone Kubiak style offense that relies so heavily on the running back to open everything up. It's this Kevin O'Connell offense that, yeah, the running back's there, but the everything through the air is what we're doing. So it's not like Alexander Madison being more of a focal point means, man, this guy's going to blow up for a 25 to 30 point game. The way it could have, two years ago when, when there was the Kubiak style offense at the same time, he's going to get, he's going to get those 16 to 20 touches this week. I feel pretty confident about that. And um, so, yeah, like to me, he's in that bucket of guys. I feel very confident in his workload. Like I feel as confident in his workload as I do with Kenneth Walker or Miles Sanders or, or those guys. So um, yeah, he's in that bucket of man, if this guy gets the touchdowns, it's going to be really nice. So I have no, no concerns there in that regard is just more of um you know you can have that tendency to you find that information oh they're going to emphasize the run a little bit more and all this is going on so you want to jump on it and be like this guy's going to have a big game and all it really means is that he has a the same sort of range of outcomes now as some of these other guys whereas before right. his, his range of outcomes was a little little bit lower so um yeah it definitely puts him in my pool but doesn't bump him up above any of those other guys
out of curiosity, like, would you consider something like if you just kind of flipped that that build and you did Cousins in Madison instead of Herbert and Kelly? Obviously, the the Herbert and Kelly side is more attractive, but obviously this too will free up a little bit more salary here as well. Would you know messing around with those kind of two v twos be something you would you would consider? Yeah, yeah, I like that too. I think this is a week where you find the spots where you can really predict what's likely is to happen. And then you recognize that a lot of the other spots don't, don't have that available. And so then you say, okay, where do we mix and match these things where it's like, it's pretty close between these, this player and this player, this quarterback and this quarterback, this pairing, and this pairing. And um, so, yeah, like, like you said, this is an underdog to the other one, but not dramatically. Yeah. And it just kind of gives you different ways to build around the, this same basic setup. How before we, we we wrap up here, how how far down the list can you scroll on some of these Chargers and Vikings? I, I guess I'm asking for a friend named, you know, Quentin Johnston. Like how 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 thin can you get with some of these plays just saying if this game goes bonkers and there's points everywhere, like are there some any cheap low owned pump plays to consider here outside of Osborne? Yeah. I mean any, anything can happen to me, those are like you know, two percent of my my MME pool type things, right? Like yeah. Josh Palmer's pretty talented. All of his big games last year though, came when Keenan Allen and Mike Williams were hurt, right? Like it just, uh, I, I'll go back to the quote from Dave Canales, the, the Buccaneers offensive coordinator. Uh, a few weeks ago, they asked him about K. Dotton and how he was doing and him coming along and all that. And, and Canales was praising K. Dotton and what a great job he's doing. And then he goes, look, you don't design plays for K. Dotton. You design plays for Mike Evans and for Chris Godwin, and if those right. guys are covered, then you go through the progressions, and you know. The, so it's kind of like that, right? Like the Chargers are not designing plays for Josh Palmer or Quentin Johnston, but you know, Marvin Mims was on the field for 15 snaps last week, and and had maybe was more than that last week, but not many snaps, and he had the the two catches for 100 plus yards and a touchdown, and uh, Brandon Johnson caught the hail mary, like crazy things. They're capable of hitting for a big play, so I guess that puts them in the MME pool. But I also want to be cognizant of the fact that these offenses are not designing plays for these guys. It's going to take something crazy happening for them to hit. Yep. That makes sense. This is the block party show. We are here every Friday at 2 PM Eastern walking through the week's DFS slate from a GPP perspective. You can find all of JM's thoughts on the slate. He writes it all up as part of the scroll in his player grid that will populate later tonight. You guys can get access to that with 20% off uh, promo code Pete over there. Any of those one week season subscriptions can't recommend it enough. It's the perfect compliment to your play with whatever other tools and resources you guys are using. Like I said, I'll be back on Sunday AM for the cram. I'll be back on Saturday night for a DFS after dark with Nez. Those are both premium shows that are available to YouTube members. You become a hand builder and opto bro on the channel. It will get you access to two premium shows a week. In addition to the private discord channel in the deposit kingdom, you just sync your YouTube and discord account. It unlocks that we brainstorm and talk strategy for all of the showdown slates in there as well. Very good bang for your buck and i'm going to be heading over directly after this to uh chat it up with the badge bros about shout out to the badge bros always a shout out to the badge bros we had a lot of fun with the debut show last week and to keep it rolling here in just about a minute and i've made it easy the youtube redirect you just refresh your screen and magically the badge bros and myself will appear on your screen jm always a pleasure talking to you any final words before we get out of here other than don't dupe jm on the lineup we built no, on. Don't, don't, don't take that lineup uh <laughs> no final words thanks for hanging out love love doing this every week see you next week all right
Bye, guys.